Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today is what I'm calling a renewed episode. So I recorded this episode about two years ago. It's an interview I did with Pam England. She is a former certified nurse midwife, the creator and author of the very popular birthing book, Birthing from Within, and her newest book, Ancient Map for Modern Birth. This weekend, I am immersed in a whole birthing from within weekend intensive and it's fantastic work. I'm really enjoying it. Last week, I did an interview with actually the facilitator of this weekend, Kuyuki Smith. And I thought while I'm in this whole immersed place, I was going to re-release the interview I did with Pam because I thought it was fantastic. I really appreciated what she had to say. So I'm putting it out there again. So I hope you enjoy it. Meanwhile, a few things going on at the studio. Who's Afraid the Pregnant Yogi has wrapped up and I'm re-releasing it hopefully in the next week or two. For a limited time, we put together all five of the modules along with the outline and the action guides and access to our private Facebook group where we have some pretty rich conversations. So that's going to be released for a limited time. There's a few spots left in the fall teacher training, the 85-hour yoga lines training, and then we're going to be all over back in Charlotte, North Carolina. I can't even speak today. (laughs) Back in Charlotte, North Carolina, over to Washington, D.C., then back into New York, and then over to Richmond, Virginia for another training. And of course, during all this, we've got an online mentorship. What's exciting is we just filled our summer mentorship at PYC. So all about learning, educating, and supporting. So that's what's going on at the studio. All right. I hope you enjoy. And if you are enjoying this series, please take a moment to jump over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to the podcast and leave a rating and review. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, my conversation with Pam. Enjoy. So Pam, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. And so if I'm just going to jump into what led you to the birthing from within method, if you wouldn't like to mind talking a little bit about your history about getting there. Hi, Deb. Well, um, thanks for having me talk to your, your yoga <laughs> classes. Well, Boy, the journey that that led me to um, create, I guess, the birthing from within model. Um, In one way, it began in my childhood with my conditioning um, and my expectations about what birth should be. But um, I think it really really started to happen when I was... um, when I was in labor and all of the magical thinking that I had myself had about birth, fantastical, you know, 
kind of untested ideas and all the teachers who were teaching fantasy birth classes and positive thinking and create your birth and all this. All of that true proved to me not very useful to me and certainly not very true. And so I was bereft in labor. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to I didn't know how to cope with pain because everybody said it's kind of like if you trust birth it doesn't hurt. And then I had a cesarean on top of all of that, which was for at the time shocking. And I felt very ashamed and very confused. So really birthing from within started on the operating table when this question came into me. It just kind of came into me. I remember kind of almost being like, now? Now the muses are coming in the middle of this operation in this brightly lit room. But here they were, and they whispered in my ear, what is it you needed to know to give birth as a mother that you didn't know as a midwife? And I went, oh, wow, that's, that's a good question. So I began to try to answer it, and, but the answer wasn't very easy. And um, I, went to, I went back to school to get my master's in psych counseling and, and I studied the history of birth and the psychology of birth and about belief systems. And I just studied a lot of different things. And it took me, um, it took me eight years to figure out whatever my new story was going to be. And then after my second baby, who was born at home, um, I didn't feel like proud of it or anything. I just felt like I had a new understanding of things. I said, well, I'd like to sort of um, create a more truthful childbirth preparation course that's holistic and not so full of promises. And so I just began to experiment for six years, and then I wrote the book. That's wonderful, and I think a lot of people can resonate with that, that they may have an image or an idea of what they want their birth to look like, and it can go dramatically wrong, and they may feel unprepared, or not wrong, but different than they had envisioned, Mm -hmm. and then they feel unprepared to deal with that outcome and then question, why wasn't I prepared? I've been reading Birthing from Within for years when I started my journey. It's true, and I keep rereading it. Um, I started... And each time I do, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. I started my own journey into the prenatal world about 15 years ago. And so I've kind of on and off been looking at it. But just even in preparing for our chat today, I reread something about fear. And I'm like, that is my birth story. I get that. So I think it has a lot to offer. Even though I know we're going to talk about that you're moving into a different direction, I still think it has a lot to offer people. Thanks for sharing your story. And we talked, you just mentioned a little bit about, you know, different traditions of childbirth, like what you had had, and you called that magical thinking. Can you explain how the birthing from within approach differs from other traditional childbirth education methods, specifically when it comes to the idea of self-awareness and personal growth as a means to diminish or prevent stalled labor or other complications? Mm-hmm. Well, um, the first thing that concerns me is I don't know that there's anything about the birthing from within model that can diminish stalled labor or any other complication. Mm-hmm. And to have that claim would be more magical thinking, mm-hmm. more snake oil. So I kind of don't go there mm-hmm. because I don't really know what creates a certain birth outcome. I think there's, you know, a thousand different influences that kind of converge on a moment and create the birth. So rather than think about how to prevent something or avoid something, um, and we certainly don't teach how to birth normally because, I mean, how do you teach that? And what's normal? 
Huh? And what's normal? You know, we all have well, our own. Well, if it happens to be an easy or spontaneous or physiological birth, I guess we're calling it these days. Um, it's kind of to me a gift from grace, and maybe some things you did increased the likelihood. But I don't know that we caused the likelihood. We can take credit for it. So, what does make what makes birthing from within different? You know, um, I'm not. I was thinking about this. I, I'm not even really sure. Um, for one thing, I think the pain coping model is very different. We we use the word pain. We don't shy away from pain or intensity. There's no promises that you should relax or trust birth or there's no insinuation that if you relax and and uh, and you have no fear that you can cope better with pain. There's no there's no correlation between those two things. I guess in birthing from within, it's more to talk about it that it's going to be very intense, but we just don't know how it will be intense for each person, or when, or how much of the labor, or part of the labor, all of the labor. So leaving it leaving it more uncertain. It is helpful because then the person doesn't go into, oh, it'll be this way, you know, or, or that way. It'll just be. And there's also this teaching that because birth is a rite of passage, it's inherent that uh, there'll be at least one surprise, if not more, in the process. And you don't get to pick it. You don't get to pick when it happens or what it is because it's a surprise. And when that unexpected thing happens, what birthing from within's model is about is to prepare people to meet that unexpected to, to 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 expect that unexpected moment and to meet it, but not know how they're going to meet it. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments, and it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, that makes sense. You know, there's a there's a saying that that's coming up right now in my birth story class from one of my students, Nikki, who has been reading Michelle Casu's book on process painting. Mm-hmm. I just this just sort of came into my mind. You know, I don't normally talk about this myself, but so if you were going to make a picture of a snake biting an apple, you wouldn't start at the tail. You would start at the teeth, mm-hmm. and you would start at the teeth biting the apple. So when we're talking about labor, we don't start with you're a goddess in labor and all these other fantastical things. We start with the most immediate experience you will probably have, and that, to me, would be uncertainty, the unknown, endurance, and probably pain, or whatever word you want to call it. But... 
So we want to start there. We want to put our teeth in the apple. We want to, we want to draw their attention to that contact right from the start. And, um, but not just talk about it's really painful or it's really intense. But when it is this way, here are some things you can do about it. So that's what makes our model different, I think. And that's, I think, something that really resonates. One thing, you know, so I teach prenatal, and a lot of times people think it's supposed to be relaxing and just restorative. And that hasn't been my approach, really, I think, since watching birth. You know, I watched birth as a doula well before I had my own kids, and it's intense. And I think it's Mm -hmm. um, doing a disservice to lie and say it's not painful. (laughs) Um, So when I teach, I teach about being in sensation because it's real and then find coping skills to, and everyone's going to have their own method of coping, but to be within that and to not, for me, it's not letting the pain just totally consume them, but to try to find their path through it. And that's why I think, yeah, that's why I think, um, the methodology I created for prenatal yoga center, it really asks a lot of people to do self-investigation and where a lot of other, several other, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of prenatal just teach them, treat them like they're broken. And I don't think pregnant women are, are broken. They're, they're mm-hmm. really powerful and birth is really mm-hmm. powerful. We need to mentally, mm-hmm. physically, emotionally prepare for that. So sorry, I went off a little tangent there, but. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, I'm really glad to hear it. Yeah. I, I believe in Facing it straight on. Can you tell me a little bit about how you incorporate multisensory and a holistic philosophy into birthing from within? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll start with holistic. So holistic for me is, well, it's changed from, from the days I used to teach fantasy birth classes um, prior to my cesarean. But now holistic means to... Um, to include every possible way that birth might unfold in, in the teaching and not to exclude things that we hope won't happen or we're afraid of or that aren't natural. So holistic teaching would include the things that are easy to embrace, um, that feel good, um, the normal part, I guess, uh, but also to include how to have an induction mindfully. What are some things you really need to know rather than just you know put your fingers in your ears and... Um, and then the other thing would be cesarean, um, a postpartum depression. I mean, there's so many different things. But to be able to talk about all of them with the same um, spirit of acceptance, and here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. But also, uh, so holistic isn't how to avoid it, but how to work with it if it should happen. And that, to me, that models a really compassionate approach that you're not it's so awful and so shameful we can't even talk about it in these classes so if it happens to you the person feels not only do they feel unprepared they feel unworthy or like something happened to them that doesn't happen to other people Mm -hmm. so that's one thing so the holistic approach means that we have to teach um and lead with courage and and true compassion which means embracing everything that could happen everything that is happening in birth in our culture a lot of which we could argue is, you know, I'm trying not to use the word unnecessary, but because it is happening, it is. And mm-hmm. so people have to be ready for it. There's no time to argue the politics of it. And the other question you asked me was about multisensory. And, um, okay, so, you know, when, when most of the time, <laughs> this is so funny to me, 
childbirth class, everybody comes in and um, they're sitting in chairs or sitting behind desks even for an hour or two hours, week after week or whatever, or all day long. And yet the, but yet the message of childbirth class is to get up and try different positions and to be active and to speak up. And yet the classes don't model that. Don't you think that's kind of funny? It is. I mean, we're in a yoga studio, so we, we, we don't sit in chairs or at desks. We yeah. have, you know, bolsters and blankets and props and the women, because we don't have chairs, um, we provide the props for them to learn how to make themselves comfortable, which I think is important for them to explore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But to do it, so there's an example of multi-sensory teaching right there. Oh. To get up and try the props, try the positions, feel them in your body. And when they get up and do them, they're remembered in the body in a different way than if they're just told. And if they've never actually done the positions or whatever it is you're doing, pain mm-hmm. coping. Like you talk about how to cope with pain, but do, do women actually hold ice or put their hands in buckets of ice? Would they actually have to cope with pain right here, right now? <laughs> Well, if they don't, then um, it becomes very intellectual, which is what birth is becoming, isn't it? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I know I do the the one-minute ice cube test, and I also created this thing I call the mock contraction. So during class, I have them do a 60-second wall squat. So, you know, they're, they're really being uncomfortable for 60 seconds. And I'm asking that because that really burns your thighs. And I ask them, you know, to find coping skills through it. You know, and I also think that early motherhood has a lot of discomfort too. So I think these coping skills can be, uh, not just for labor, but really for life. Definitely. So that kind of brings me to the idea of talking about fear, and I know you reference it several times in Birthing from Within. And during my own doula practice, and even my own second birth more than my first, um, fear really tends to come up. And I really, I asked my doula clients, I, asked, I had to ask myself about dealing with it. Can you talk a little bit about um, birthing from within and the worry, the fear, the strategies, the belief system around fear and how it can impact birth? Yeah, well, that's a big. <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> that's a big question. Well, first of all, I, I I start with. In a way, you should be afraid. I mean, you're doing something that's called a rite of passage that you've never done before. You're facing the unknown and uncertainty, and you're facing it in a culture that, in a lot of ways, doesn't really support. You finding your way through the process, not in pregnancy and not in labor. So I think people who aren't afraid are actually more, I worry more for them than people who are afraid because they're actually paying attention. So I would kind of, kind of, I kind of think about that in a different way, I suppose. So fear in itself to me is not a problem. In fact, I think it's a good thing because it mobilizes a person to ask the deepest question for themselves. What is it they're afraid of? And the question is, why am I afraid of it? What am I doing now to, you know, either decrease the chances of it ha- this thing happening? Or if it happened, what would I do about it? So there's like this kind of, kind of a solution-focused attitude about it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of armchair psychology about fear. You know, a lot of blaming the mother if her labor is obstructed in some fashion, um, complicated in some fashion, that she is that it's that way because she didn't trust birth, because she was afraid. And that kind of cause and effect thinking is just not part of it's just not part it's just not how I think about it. 
So I think it's more important, uh, rather than preach, don't be afraid, trust birth and all that, is to say that it makes sense that you would have a doubt, a great doubt, before you do something like this, this big rite of passage that even if you've read about it, you've not done it. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think the next thing is to ask them, not what are you afraid of, because that sets up a very weird, I'm not afraid, I trust birth, you know, so it sets up an invitation to, like, I'm not, I'm not a scary cat. So I think a better way of asking it is, is there one thing you're hoping to avoid? Or is there one thing that if it happened, you would feel really like you failed or you were failed? And let that dialogue, let it be a dialogue rather than a, you know, shush, shush, don't worry about it. It won't happen to you because you're a vegan or something. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and to find out why they're afraid of it. What, why is it important to them not to have this experience or or to avoid it? And then you're starting to get into not the not the complication or the intervention itself, but the meaning that it holds for this person, this individual. And then you want to find out, well, when you imagine this unwished-for thing happening, this is very important, you know, to go slow and let this person draw or talk about, not, I would say if it's a one-minute drawing, I wouldn't make an elaborate drawing of this because it's hypnotic. But to talk about, I see myself, you know, being taken advantage of or passive, or I see my family not respecting me or... Yeah, they can talk about what they're actually seeing. And then, they, then it's important for them to feel in their body. Every time they think about this intervention, whether it's an IV or a cesarean, it could be anything, how they just feel, how they collapse inside or they give up or they they feel ashamed or, or what you know whatever it is for them. This is kind of like getting them in touch with the thing they don't want to be in touch with. And that is so important to have someone sit with them instead of, Denying them that experience. And then from there, you go to supposing this thing happened and you did everything you could to avoid it, but it, supposing it happened. And um, you have to find out what are you telling yourself it would mean about you? And this becomes so tender because it isn't like, I, you know, they might say, I, I should have read more. Yes, maybe so, maybe not doesn't always help but what does it mean about you and it's kind of like I am weak or I am inferior or I'm not a real woman or I'm a bad mother now we're getting to the heart of it and when they say it you can actually feel it in your own body it's like a connection to the deep truth of this of this unwished for event now from there the process is and it's there's a different ways of going about it it's it takes time to help them build a, well, supposing this happened, what could I do for myself? Not what could I do to get out of it, which is just more strategizing. And then, but it has to be a slow process of, and not, not a fantasy process. It's not off making it fine. It wouldn't be a problem. It's still a problem. It's still scary. It's still sad. But what can they do? to help themselves in that moment? What do they need to... Is there something they can do now to prepare for it in case it happens? And all of a sudden, the person, instead of avoiding it, they're almost... In, when you avoid it, you're kind of in your child self. It's so scary, I can't go there. I would be so terrible. I just, I just... I won't think about it, then it won't happen. 
But the adult part of us has to say, well, supposing it happened, like if you're going on a trip, you have to think about, well, if this happened, I'd have a first aid kit. Well, that's something. You sort of plan ahead. So anyway, I mean, that's a long answer, but I think there's a, I think it's a very, um, it's a patient exploration. And the person who leads them to this exploration has to really embrace that this person might actually have this unwished for experience mm-hmm. and that we can't talk them out of it so it doesn't happen. Maybe they're talking about it now because the veil has moved and they actually see the future. And now this talk will help them get ready. But it's not like talking about it could make it happen. Right. That's new age nonsense. I mean, it's not quite that. I mean, if talking about it could make it happen, we would all have natural, easy bursts in water with candlelight. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, that's the idea of fear. It's very important to me. Um, one of the first births I did, maybe like my fifth or sixth in, fear played a major role in the, in the <laughs> woman's birth. And she called me in a year later to talk about it. She'd been processing it that whole time. And it was a very deep deep fear that even if I had said in passing, and I call it the skeletons in the closet, like, you know, Mm -hmm. I invite you to really sit with what might come up and and look at the scary things. Mm -hmm. But I don't think she was even aware. And then in my own life, um, my first birth was long and I had to have a really big conversation with my husband and my midwife about my fear of repeating that. And they made me really sit and explore what would that mean if it happened? And and it didn't make it go away because the fear was there, but it, it made me definitely feel like I could say it out loud and I felt supported. And and I had to also just be open to what happened because oh. I had to just be open to, we have to see where the where the birth goes. So well, You've had a really good experience with your exploration of it. I mean, you've embodied this yeah. uh, fearlessness of looking into it. Well, because I felt I had to face it I mean, because it was big and, you know, whether I, I could face it or I could not, um, mm-hmm. but my second birth was going to happen and I felt it was better to, to deal, you know, because I, I saw on other people when you don't face the fear, how it can start to percolate up. So I'm, I was really glad that there's something you explored and talked about. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I wanted to say that even though people do face the fear, Mm -hmm. Um, either that or something else can still come up in labor Mm -hmm. that they couldn't have anticipated would come up. So I just want to, I feel strongly about this message that if you had done your personal work and you had faced your fears and you had really prepared emotionally and spiritually, you just wouldn't be afraid in labor. And I think to me, because it's a rite of passage, can I go into this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, my new book, Ancient Map for Modern Birth, talks about birth as a heroic journey, in which, that, which means that you can prepare so much. Part of your preparation is unconscious from your childhood and just things that happened to you that you didn't know were going to come useful in this brighter passage. Part of it's conscious, which is limited because it's the conscious mind trying to prepare for the unknown, but okay, it helps. Mm-hmm. And then there's the ordeal, during which you are in the unknown and... There's no way you could know what was going to happen to prepare for it. But there's this, there's this notion in our kind of our checklist mentality that if we prepare for all these things, then we won't be afraid and we won't be caught off guard and we'll know the questions to ask. And it's just not that simple because, because it's a rite of passage, there has to be a surprise. And you have to do the one forbidden thing, which is Joseph Campbell's phrase for a rite of passage in which 
the one thing, or one of the things, I shouldn't say the one thing, one of the things you've always told yourself you would never do or never let happen to you or never say because it's just so, it's so in your underworld, it's so not okay, it would make you look weak or whatever the word is. So there becomes this strategy to avoid those things that would make that one forbidden expression possible because what would people think what would i think of myself but in a rite of passage every person who has a rite of like you know heroic journey and birth experiences the one forbidden thing but they don't know what it's going to be or when it's going to be and i'm not saying that it's something as big as it was forbidden to have an epidural and had an epidural yes it could be that like a big boulder but it could also be as tiny as a little grain of sand i lost faith in myself that's something no one else could see. And what does that mean if I lost faith and I've been in religious studies all my life and I didn't even have faith at my hour of need? And this causes a, a spiritual crisis, you see. So what happens is that one forbidden moment becomes, the crack in the story becomes where the, where the you're not healing the birth. There's nothing to heal with the birth. It's just an event. But you begin to heal this negative or narrow or rigid belief about yourself or the world. And and what that does is it allows you to go through that little death with the one forbidden thing, and then this new thing, this crack healing, is the rebirth. It's the rebirth of your new understanding. It's the rebirth of com- deep compassion for yourself and maybe even forgiveness for others. I don't know what it would be. I mean, there's so many possibilities. So then when you make the return, you're integrating that change. That can only happen if there was a crack in the birth. Mm-hmm. If every, so I tell my clients this. Look, if you go to the grocery store with your list and you get everything on your list and go home, was that a rite of passage? Did you have a spiritual death and rebirth? Even if you got a sale? No. <laughs> so when you go into birth, which we call a rite of passage, there has to be an expectation that the unexpected unplanned and nothing it's the grace gives us the moment we don't choose it and then we're like oh that's my moment (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh okay and i can't heal it now i'm in the middle of labor i'll get back to it (laughs) does that make sense it absolutely does so this is all about this is your new book ancient map from modern birth Mm -hmm. oh i can't wait and that comes out in january right yeah. Oh, very exciting. So some of the- order it now because I'm. Um, it may be in print as early as December, and I can send out copies sooner. But oh, perfect. That's I can't wait to read that. So what you were also talking about is this part of your birth story medicine workshops? So is that kind of idea included in that? Will you talk about that? In a way, it is because well, the birth story medicine. Well, of course, that seed was planted with my cesarean shock and. Uh, <laughs> my long eight-year journey back from trying to figure out what it meant. Um, And then I studied with lots of different people, and I kind of put things together over trial and error to make this what I call MAP. So when you have had a great rite of passage, there's the, like I said, there's preparation and then there's the ordeal, but there's the return. And in the birth story medicine work, there's like the nine gates of the return going back. So there's nine different stories that a person tells as they evolve, as they evolve, it's organic over a period of time. So the birth story listeners, I'm trying to teach birth story listeners how to listen to a story deeply so that the person can have new meaning coming into that story 
fairly quickly. Now, not all stories can be fairly quickly, but some of them can be. Rather than eight years, I'm saying, you know, comparatively, it's eight years versus eight sessions or something. I don't know what it would take. Usually most most time it's only a couple sessions for me. But um, so the birth story workshops are predominantly for people who want to learn how to listen to birth stories, but there's also some that are for people who want to work on their birth stories. Okay. Yeah, and I saw that was something on your site, and it looked particularly interesting to me. (laughs) Um, As you and I were preparing for our chat, you mentioned the impact of story and history of birth. Now, as a child, I had a very positive impact of birth. My mom tells it to everyone. I was almost born on the way to the hospital, and she didn't have time to prep because back in the 70s, they prepped them a little. So I felt really fortunate that I had a pretty positive story, but I know that it can also be impacted negative stories. Um, So something I actually do with my teacher trainees is ask them to write about their family birth stories and impact and how that created the perception of the birth uh, or just birth in general. Will you talk about your philosophy behind this? Well, uh, yeah, there's, well, there's something I call the first birth story. Have you heard about my work with the first birth story? No. Will you tell me about it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I accidentally discovered it in a workshop one day. and I won't tell you that story, but it was like, <laughs> What was that? So then I started to test it because it was an accident the first time. But what it is is when we're growing up, there's a there's a period. You know, we're 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 learning about the world. There's a period of time in the formative years where we really don't know anything about birth, and then all of a sudden we pick up knowledge about birth. But it's done again. It's the unconscious preparation. It's just stuff. Start people talking about it casually on TV. Just. Maybe our own fantasy, I don't know, but it happens. The nativity story can be part of it if you're Catholic or Christian. But at any rate, all kinds of different things come in. Not one thing, not one thing, but they come in and they start to make like a storyboard in your mind about birth. And that storyboard isn't just facts for a kid. It's imagination, it's feeling, and it's beliefs. And assumptions. Not only beliefs about birth out there, but when I grow up, I'm not going to do that. Oh, when I grow up, I am going to do that. So the first birth plan is actually written by the time you're 10 years old, whether you're conscious of it or not. And so what happens is that when a woman goes grows up and she starts to choose this class over that class, she chooses a class that matches her first her first conditioning, so that it's not challenged. In fact, you should take the opposite one, so she's challenged. It would be probably more ideal. Um, or she chooses the place of birth or the kind of practitioner that matches could be either her first agreement, I'm never going to do that, or I am going to do this. So it's, it's a fit. But then she gets kind of like stuck in this narrow column, of uh, which we talked about earlier, that there's so many other things that can happen. But, you know, it's not part of my conditioning, so I'm not, not going to go there. Or I don't even know I could go there. It could even be an unconscious choice to ignore it. So the first birth story can be positive or negative, and it depends on what the imagination of that child does with it and the agreement they make about it, and you can't know that. Even if you tell a child a positive story, they could hear it or envision it differently than what you did because they have their own mind. In fact, sometimes positive birth stories have a negative effect, like little girls growing up in birth communes or home birth communes or where there's a judgment about people who were transferred. And there's a positive, a hyper-positivity about birthing normally. So when she has a hard birth, she now realizes she's one of those people who were judged and talked about in the kitchen. And so there's, if she hadn't had that positivity conditioning, she might just go, oh, I had a cesarean. <laughs> but it's not, I had a cesarean. Oh, my God, 
I now I can't go. I can't be invited to the picnic. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the exiles because I failed in birth. And nobody meant to condition her that way. They were meaning to support people to do the alternative thing. But the child interpreted it as a rule in order to belong and be respected. You have to birth this way. And if you birth that way, it means you failed. And it just was an accident that and her little minds don't figure out that isn't actually what's going on here, although sometimes it is. <laughs> um, so anyway, the, so the first birth story, when you're working with people, sometimes it's interesting to ask them, tell me about when you were growing up, what is one of, one of the earliest stories or memories you have of birth? And it could be overhearing a conversation on the phone or about a neighbor. It could be your story. It could be TV. And... I could just tell you, I, we could have a whole call on first birth stories. It's so interesting. And what happens is you ask them a series of questions, which we can't go into now, and they begin to see what they aren't doing or what they're avoiding based on that. And they never would have made the connection without the process. It's a very cool process. Is this, it's very quick. Is this in your new book too? Yeah, it oh, is. Good. I'm so excited to read it. <laughs> It is in the new book, yeah. Yeah, I like that you're asking because this is, you know, you and I are really resonating a lot together, but look a little bit deeper to some of the subconscious things about birth because I don't think, you know, I don't know if I was in this birth world if I would have thought about that. And those that aren't and that are facing birth, you know, what we hear, what you said, like stories that we heard, social media, social, you know, TV, media, everything, it's going to impact from a very young age. I love that. Scared of it slightly, too, but love that. Right. Well, you can't sort everything out. <laughs> right. But, you know, when you think about it, can I just say one more thing? People think about birth as contractions and interventions and stages of labor and where, where to birth, you know. But really, it's so much more interesting. It's like this fabric with all these different threads in it and all these different ideas and assumptions about what makes me an okay person. And it's like whether it's okay to ask for help or what's too much help and too little help and who's a you know, and is it okay to be in pain? Is it okay to express it or should I hide it? You know, is it, you know, is it okay? Is my body okay? Is it too fat? Is it too skinny? Is it too weak? Is it too strong? I mean, it's just, there's so many things that go into the co-creation of birth preparation and birth perception. It's not just these simplified superficial threads about whether you want to birth here or there, you want to have this technique or that it's much more complicated as to how we're all made, you know, how we're made psycho spiritually. Fascinating. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to get your book. Um, can you tell people a little bit where to find you? Um, I know you have workshops, you have your new book, probably I'm guessing maybe you're touring with your new book. I don't, how can people yeah, work I'll with be you? I'm touring um, next year and my website's going up any day now, maybe even today I'll put it up and I'll start listing the cities where I'm going to be. Uh, in 2017, um, my new website for this is Seven Gates Media because it's based on the story of Anana, and she passed through the seven gates into the underworld. And I think women go through the seven gates in labor. Um, and I tell that story in the book too. I tell the story of Anana. So you can go to Seven Gates Media and uh, sign up for a workshop there. And there's also Birthing from Within workshops at the BirthingFromWithin.com workshop. And those are like how to teach birthing from within classes. I'm not teaching how to teach birthing from within classes at my workshops. I'm teaching about the map, Mm -hmm. the inner map, the archetypes, the great stories. I'm doing something different now. Well, I'll put all this on our show notes um, so that people can continue to study and learn about you. Do you have anything else that you want to add? 
No, but thank you so much for being such a great interviewer and sharing oh. <laughs> the work you're doing too. It is, I'll be in New York City. Um, I would this love to year. see you. I'm coming to New York. All right, let's um, connect. We should talk about uh, how we can connect. And yes. um, uh, I want to do a one day workshop there and a book signing. So let's get together. Yes. So- and, and I would like you to autograph my book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Pam, thank you so much for your time. I got to run, go pick up my daughter from school, but thank you again. And I hope you have a great day. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.